We are, uh, if you're new here, we are in a, a series called Lament. A series called Lament, Finding Hope in the Rubble. And if you don't know what that word lament is uh, or what it means, don't feel bad. Hardly anybody in our culture knows what lament is. Uh, it's just not a word that we, we use in our everyday vernacular or language. And so here's, here's a 30-second catch-up. Like if you're, you're new, this is your first Sunday with us. Maybe you're tuning in for the first time, second time. Here, here's a 30-second catch-up for you. Here, here's the definition of lament. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Right? And we've talked about we've lost this art as modern-day Christians. We've got we've to reclaim this lost art of knowing how to pray through and engage with God when the, the storms of life kind of crash in on us. So a lament is a prayer and pain that leads to trust. We've also talked about the fact that there are four parts typically of a biblical lament. So here they are. The first one is turning to God, right? That means when things get hard, when the storms come in your life, when you're suffering, when there's pain, when there's darkness in your life, the first thing that we ought to do is we ought to run to God, not run away from him. See, a lot of people, their instinct is things get hard and they want to tap out, right? Man, things got hard. God didn't show up the way that I wanted him to, so I'm out. And so what a lament teaches us, no, 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 no. When things get really, really hard, when there's a lot of suffering and pain in our lives, no, we, we turn to God. That's the first part of a lament. The second part is what we looked at last week, that's pouring out our pain or pouring out our complaint in very honest ways to God, right? Many of you have been sending me your laments. I appreciate that. I prayed through all of your laments. If you haven't written one, let me encourage you the next four or five weeks, write a lament. Man, we, we've got to get in the practice of doing this. If you want to share it with me, again, you can email that to me at info at nlcca.org. I promise that I'll, I'll pray with you as you lament, as you send those in. But that's the second part of lamenting is honestly pouring out our hearts and our pain to God. A lot of people think this is disrespectful, but the Bible is full of this kind of lament. And then the part that we're gonna kind of dive into today is the third element, ask for intervention. Ask God for help. That's the third part of a lament. So we don't just pour out our pain before God. We actually say, God, I need your help. I'm in trouble here. I don't know what to do. I don't see an escape route. I, I really need somebody to show up in my life at this point in time and, and do something. I know, God, you're the only one that can do that. So that's the third part. And then the fourth part, which we'll look at next week, is a declaration of trust. It's saying, God, even in the pain, even in the storm, even through the tears, I want you to know, God, I don't necessarily understand all that you're doing, but I want you to know my trust is in you. God, I got nowhere to go. You're all I got. And you're all I need. And so I'm coming to you when uh, times are tough and when pain is filtering into my life. Now, wh why is this important? Now, wh why are we taking seven or eight weeks out of our time to really dive into and address this concept of lament? Well, in case you haven't noticed, real life isn't always a fairy tale. You notice that yet? If you're over like 14, you probably already know that, right? Real life is not always like a fairy tale, right? We, we all experience pain and suffering and loss and seasons of darkness in our life. The bottom line is we need help. Most of us, let's be honest, most of us aren't really good at asking for help when we need it, are we? Especially you dudes out there, right? Wives, nod your heads. Especially you guys out there, right? I, I drive my wife crazy. We'll go into a store and I'll be looking for whatever, I don't know, a, a pair of pants or a shirt or something like that. 
It'll be looking for what I'm trying to find and I can't find it and just kind of searching all over the store. I'm just lost and Cheryl, will, my wife will see somebody that works there and she'll be like, hey babe, there's somebody that works there. Why don't you go ask them? And you know what my answer is every time? Not a chance. Not a chance. It may take me an extra 45 minutes to find what I'm gonna find, but my pride will be intact. I'm not gonna ask some 16-year-old girl that doesn't even wanna be working there to help me out. I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna figure it out on my own. Now, when, let me just ask you, when, when is the last time you've been in trouble in your life. Can you remember a time where you just, man, you, you, you were in trouble and you knew you really couldn't wiggle your way out of what's going on? There's something stressful, something painful in your life. I've had a bunch of different times in my life where I've been in trouble. Um, now that I'm older, um, here, here's kind of the pattern. I'm just being honest with you that I sometimes find myself in when, I, when, I'm, when I'm in trouble. See if you can relate. These are, are kind of the, the four ways I think we are the, the, the pattern that we turn to when we're in trouble. The first one is this. When we get in trouble, usually we go to self first, right? And we say, man, uh, I'm, I'm in this situation and I don't know how to get out of it, but, but I'm a pretty smart, I'm a pretty smart person. I'm a pretty crafty person. Let me see if I can kind of massage this situation and manipulate things and try to sort things out on my own. Like, I'm gonna try to figure this out. I'm gonna willpower my way through this situation, right? And so we go to self first, and we try to do it all on our own. And the second thing most of us do, which is the worst thing we could ever do when we're in trouble, is we go to Google, right? right? We all go to Google, like, man, how do we do this? And how do we fix this? And what's the solution to this? And again, that's one of the very worst things you could do. And then oftentimes, the third step for us is to go to friends, like trusted confidants, and say, hey, man, I'm in trouble. I don't know what to do. Could you give me some advice? What would you do in this situation? And then the very last thing most of us do is we'll go to God. All right, we, we, when we struck out everywhere else and we've tried everything else, we try to figure it out on our own, we try to get advice from friends, we try to go to the internet and find solutions and nothing else works. Finally, like our last resort is going to God. And I'm just telling you, if you're a follower of Jesus, we need to kind of flip that list. <laughs> we gotta kind of flip the script, man. We gotta start going to God first. Because the reality is going to God last as a follower of Christ is just, it's so dumb, right? It's so dumb. Now, so remember the elements of a lament. First of all, turn to God. Number two, pour out complaint. The third element is asking God for help. and saying, God, help. I don't know what to do. Now, I don't think there's anybody in all of scripture that teaches us better how to handle trouble and asking for help than King David. I, I love King David. I love the way that he prays. I love the way that King David trusts in God even when it makes no human sense against all odds. I love how when King David falls, he gets up and instead of running away from God, he runs to God. So today we're gonna drill down into Psalm 22. If you have your Bible, let me just encourage you, grab it, open it up, turn on your advice, go to Psalm 22. That's where we're gonna park together this morning. And we're gonna learn some practical things about asking for help when things in life fall apart, right? And we just heard a great story from Ryan about asking for help when things fall apart. So Psalm 22, this is a Psalm of David. He wrote this Psalm. This is what David writes, starting in verse one. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day. You do not answer, and by night I find no rest. 
Have you ever been in so much pain that you can't even come up with the words? You just, you just groan, right? You don't even know what to say. It just, it just hurts, but you gotta make a noise. You just groan. David is groaning, but he's groaning in God's direction. And sometimes that's the best we can do, man. We, can, we just groan in God's direction. And he's crying out to God. He's saying, God, I, I, can't, even, I can't even sleep at night. Have you ever been so weighted down and burdened that you can't even sleep at night? You just get insomnia. Have you ever experienced that? Man, I have. It's, it's, it's terrible. It's torturous, man. You just can't, you can't turn your mind, your mind off because you've got this thing that's just, just kind of weighing down over you like this dark monster. You can't get away from it. You can't close your eyes every time you try to go to sleep. It's just there and it's, it's torturing you. That's where David is. He's like, man, I'm in so much pain, God. I'm, I'm groaning, and I can't even sleep. I'm tired at night. I can't even go to sleep. I'm in so much pain. He's crying out. He's saying, God, why have you forsaken? I feel like you've forgotten about me. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you standing so far away from me? Friend, do you feel like God is far off from you this morning? Do you feel like maybe he's forgotten you? Maybe he's forgotten your lot in life or the circumstances around your life. Do you feel like he's standing far away when you need him to be close? If that's you, this psalm is for you. I said this earlier in the series. I'm gonna say it again because I think it's true. Listen, where you go with your pain defines who you are. Not when, not when the sun is, is shining and the skies are blue in your life and every circumstance is exactly how you want it to be. That's easy. But where do you go when things get tough? Where do you go when the pain starts seeping into your life? That really defines who you are and what you actually believe. Do you run from God in your pain? I just wanna tell you in love, that, that tells me you don't really know who God is and what he's like. If you run from him in the, in the pain when the storms start crashing in, you don't know God's character. David right here is in immense pain. He's at this point in his life where a lot of people would throw their hands up and walk away from God and say, God, I'm following you. I'm trying to do everything that you've asked me to do, and this is what I get? If this is what you're gonna give me when I follow you, God, I don't need this. I'm done with you. I'm walking away from this. Instead, in the middle of that pain, in the middle of the suffering, in the middle of the confusion where all he can do is groan at night when he can't even sleep, David doesn't turn from God. He runs to God. See, David learned to suffer in a way that pointed his heart to hope in God. I came across this really profound statement this week from a comedian back in the day named uh, Gracie Allen. She wrote this, this, this statement in a love letter to her husband right before she died. She knew she was dying. She wrote this in a love letter to him. And here, here's, here's the statement, and this is gonna be our first point, our first application point this morning, because some of y'all need to hear this. Here it is, number one. Don't place a period where God has placed a comma in your life. Let me say that again. Don't place a period where God has placed a comma in your life. See, David understood that what, what felt hopeless in the moment to him with God was not the end of the story. It felt like it was the end of the story. It felt hopeless, but he understood that with God, the story wasn't over yet. There's this awesome uh, story in, in Mark's gospel, chapter five. And um, there's this, this religious guy, this is a ruler of the, of the Pharisees named Jairus. 
and Jesus was doing all these miracles, and so there was like this big crowd that was, that was following Jesus around, and Jairus had a, a little girl, a little daughter, 12-year-old daughter, who was on her deathbed, she was sick, and she was getting ready to die. And Jairus hears that Jesus is coming, and so Jairus runs out, he falls down on his knees, and he, he just asks, he says, Jesus, my daughter is about to die. Can you, heal? Can you heal her? Can you help her? I need you to come and pray for her. And so Jesus is, is like, yeah, let's go. And so they start walking and on the way, they kind of get, get hung up with another lady that needs to be healed. And as all this is going on, there are people from Jairus' home that meet Jairus and Jesus on the pathway, on the road and say, it's over, it's too late, she just died. Don't, don't, don't bother Jesus anymore, she's, she's dead. In other words, there's a, there's a period at the end of the story now. And I love Jesus' response. When he hears that the little girl's dead, he says, don't fear, only believe. And so he continues on to Jairus' house where the little girl's dead. He gets there, and it's quite the scene. People are, are wailing and mourning and screaming outside the house because this little girl that they all loved is now dead. And Jesus clears everybody out. And he's like, hey, listen, y'all, y'all get out of here. And they actually laugh at him. <laughs> they start laughing at him. They're like, dude, he, she's dead. There's nothing you can do now. You're too late. There's a period at the end of this story. It is over. He's like, you guys, clear out. I want everybody out of the house. I want everybody out of the room. And he takes mom and he takes dad and he goes in there and he kneels down by this little dead girl and he grabs her by the hand and he says, Talitha kumi, Aramaic, which means little girl, arise. And immediately she opens her eyes she gets up and she starts walking around and everybody goes nuts. They can't believe it. This girl was dead. We just saw her die and now Jesus comes in and he breathes life into her and now she's a well and she's like, see, they had, they had placed a period where Jesus had a comma and they lost hope. And listen, I'm guessing that's probably where some of you are this morning, right? Some of you have placed a period where God has intended a comma in your life. Now, I don't know where that place is for you. Maybe for some of you, it's a marriage that you gave up on. And you're still in it, but man, in your mind, it's over, it's done with, and you're just trying to figure out how to get out of it. And it, man, I tried for all these years, and it's done, and it's over with. For, the, for others of you, maybe it's a child that you just lost hope in. Man, they've been running for so long, they've gotten in so much trouble, and you've been praying for years, maybe you've been praying for decades, you just kind of gave up. Man, I, I, I'm done praying for this. I, I tried everything that I could. It's a hopeless situation. Maybe for others of you, it's, a, it's depression, it's darkness that you've kind of given into. Maybe it's an addiction that you gave up on because you tried and you tried and you went to treatment after treatment and you never could. You just kept going back and re relapsing. And I don't know what that situation is for you, but David is teaching us that it is only God who decides where the periods go in our life. God is the only one who gets to decide where the periods go in our life. Where we go with our pain defines who we are. So friend, don't you dare put a period in your life where God may be etching a comma. I want you to listen to what David says now as he begins to pour out his complaints to God. But listen, never giving up on God. When we take our complaints and our pain to God, that's actually a sign of trust. It's actually a sign of faith, not a lack of faith. Verse six, watch this. David says, but I am a worm. I'm a worm, not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me and they wag their heads. Now this was obviously a cultural thing back then and this was a way to mock people, right? They would just do this kind of head wag thing to, to mock people. 
Verse eight, he says, this is what they're saying about him. He trusts, David trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. So David is now praying to God. He says, God, I, I don't even feel like a man. I don't even feel like a human being. I feel like a worm. I feel like the lowest form of life. My existence, God, I feel like has no value. I feel like the world will be better off without me here. God, I'm like a, I'm like a worm in the dirt. And then he goes, God, listen, pe people mock me. They make fun of me. They reject me. They laugh at me, God. And they're not just laughing at me. They, they're mocking. They're laughing at my faith in you, God. They say, hey, David, you love God, man. Where's your God at now, kingly boy? He's not showing up for you now, is he? God, when are you gonna do something? When are you gonna step in my life? David continues to pour out his pain in verse 12. He says, many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. This is language for like I'm bleeding. I'm bleeding out. God, I'm bleeding out here. My life is fading away. Where are you? I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. It's how much pain I'm in. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My, my heart is melting inside of my chest, God. My strength is dried up like a, a pot shirt. These are just like little pieces of clay pottery, just dry, worthless pieces of pottery. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. David is a poet, man. The way he writes is beautiful. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. See, it, it seems hopeless to David at this point. There's no hope at all. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and they gloat over me. They divide my clothes, my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Now David was not afraid to take all of his pain, all of his suffering, and just simply lay it right in front of God and go, what now, God? What now? You've stripped me of everything. It seems completely hopeless. What now, God? It hurts. It hurts, God. I've lost it all. I've got nothing. I'm a worm. I've got nothing left in this life. But listen, a lament never ends in pain. Remember, lament is a bridge from pain to promise, from pain, from suffering to hope. Watch this, verse three. He says, and yet. Now, if you're reading the, the, the lament psalms, always look for the word yet or but because that typically is the, the pivot point or sometimes there's multiple pivot points within a psalm. Always look for yet or but, because that's when things are about to change. David goes, and yet, in spite of all this pain, in spite of the fact that all I can do is lay in my bed and groan at night because I can't sleep and I'm hurting so much, and yet, you are holy and enthroned on the praises of Israel or, or on the praises of your people. David is saying, God, I'm, I'm a worm. I am wasting away. I am fallen, God, but you are none of those things. God, you are holy, you are high and lifted up, you are right on your throne, you are in full control of this situation when I feel like my whole life is out of control. Verse four, he says, in you, in you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. 
To you they cried and were rescued, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. Now what in the world is David talking about here? What, what is all this stuff about his ancestors, God doing stuff for his fathers and his grandfather? How does that help him right now? Remember, he's laying in bed at night just groaning, can't even sleep, feels like a worm, feels like his life is over. How does what God did 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 1,000 years ago help him right now? Now, this is, listen, listen up. This is a deep principle and if you're a follower of Christ, you need to learn this because most of us don't practice this as modern day followers of Jesus in 2021. See, in the Old Testament, God's people had this amazing practice, this thing called stones of remembrance. Some people in the, would actually call them Ebenezer's, stones of, of hope, right? And the way this would work is so whenever God would kind of show up in their lives, Whenever God would, would show up and do something big and answer a prayer or deliver somebody, they would, they would literally, they would build these stone structures so that every time they saw that stone structure, they would remember what God had done for them. And they would also build these stone structures, these Ebenezer's, these stones of remembrance so that future generations would see these stones and know of the great works of God. Now this was brilliant because you know what you and I are really good at? Forgetting. Man, we are, we are really good at forgetting stuff, aren't we? Like, like, like God can show up and do something huge in my life today. He can answer a prayer, he can restore a relationship, he can, he can deliver me from danger today, and by next week I've got a new problem, I've got a new crisis, and man, it's like I, I freak out all over again, like I just forgot what God did last week in my life. And David is teaching us, no, 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 you gotta look to God's track record when you struggle to believe. Look at his track record when you need hope to believe. So here's our second application point this morning. Number two, Past performance births future hope. Past performance births future hope. So what do I mean by that? When your heart tempts you to despair in life, you've gotta to learn to argue back. You've gotta to learn to, to look back at what God has done for his people throughout the generations, and you've gotta look back at his history of delivering you and showing up for you even in your own life. Like how many times has God shown up and delivered you just in your brief little lifetime? When's the last time you just sat down and thought about that? Whether you're 15 or 30 or 50 or 70? When's the last time you just sat down and recounted all the times that God showed up in your life and delivered you right when you needed it? Like I, I can look back at my life and I, I should have been dead like at least 13 times by now. At least 13 times I should, have been, I should have been dead. And God has shown up again and again in my life and yet when I find myself in a new fire of life, I'm still, even after all these years, I'm still tempted to forget of God's faithfulness, of his power, of his ability and desire to deliver his people. And David is reminding us, no, 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 no. In the fire, we've gotta, we've gotta look back at God's track record. And as he does this, God breathes new hope into David's heart. Listen to him in verse nine, that same word again, yet. 
And yet, in spite of all of this, in spite of the fact that it looks hopeless, in spite of the fact that it looks like there's a period on the end of my story, and yet, you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. David's going, Let, you know what, God? Now, now that I think about it, now, now that I sit down and I, and I contemplate it, God, you've actually been with me all along. I can, I can look back all the way to when I was a little baby and I can see your fingerprints, oh God, all over my life. Do you see the shift of hope that's happening here as David takes his eyes off of his current circumstances long enough to look at God's character throughout the ages? And I'm just telling you, I'm betting that's exactly what some of you need today. What some of you need today is just a gentle nudge to take your eyes off of your current circumstances just long enough to see God's history, to see his track record throughout the ages and in your life. And now David comes to God and he begins to ask, he begins to pray some really bold prayers. And that's kind of the whole, whole point of the message this morning is coming to God and praying these bold prayers, asking for help when it seems like things are all lost. So he's gonna start in verse 11. And he says this, this is his prayer. He says, be not far from me. He's praying to God. Be not far from me for trouble is near and there's none to help. Now David is asking so boldly here that it, it, it honestly, it almost sounds like a command, doesn't it? Be not far from me, God. I'm in trouble, God. I got nobody but you. God, please show up. God, help. When's the last time you prayed that kind of prayer? God, help. I just need you to show, I need somebody to show up. In verse 19, he continues, but you, O Lord, do not be far off. Same, same thing, he's saying the same thing again. Don't be far off, God. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me, there's another request, bold request. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Listen, there are no timid prayers here. You notice that with David? There ain't, there ain't no timid prayers here. There's no prayer like, oh Lord, if, if it wouldn't be too much trouble for you, could you just show up and help me a little? There's no timidity in the way David addresses God. David is praying a ferociously bold prayer here. He's saying, God, help me. Church, I'm just telling you, man, we, we have to learn how to pray big prayers again. Most of us have settled for half-hearted, weak-sauce prayer lives. And our spiritual walks reflect our flimsy prayer journeys. Let me show you a really cool story I came across this week in the Old Testament book of 2 Chronicles. And uh, this, is, this is found in, in chapter 14. But in 2 Chronicles 14, Judah, which was the, the, the southern kingdom of Israel, they'd kind of split off from, from the northern kingdom, Judah was uh, under the reign of a king named Asa. Asa was a godly man and he instituted all these great policies and really pointed people to God. And so God blessed them. Judah was blessed for, for a decade. They had, they had no war. They had complete peace for an entire decade. 
Everything was going well. Asa was on cloud nine. Everybody loved him. Everybody was singing his praises. Man, what a great leader. What a godly man. Everything is going great in life. We got peace, no troubles. This is awesome. Until one day, they look across the valley and there's a ferocious foreign army on the western horizon getting ready to invade. And it was an army of a million soldiers, Second Chronicles tells us. So just, just imagine looking over a valley up into the hills and all you can see to the horizon is a sea of soldiers and chariots. Millions, millions of soldiers. Asa was incredibly outnumbered. By any human standard, Asa and the, the, the people of God, were, they were done. They were toast, man. They stood no chance against this foreign army coming in on the western horizon. It looked like a big old huge period was about to get slammed down on Asa and God's people. But I want you to watch his prayer. All right, I want, I want you to, this will be on the screens for you. This is his prayer, right? When it looks like they're all about to get slaughtered, their wives are about to be taken as slaves, unspeakable things are about to be done to their kids. When it seems like there's no help at all, this is Asa's prayer. Watch this. And Asa cried to the Lord his God. Where's his confidence? Does he run from God when things get tough? No, that's the first person he goes to when things get tough. Asa cried to the Lord his God. And this is his prayer. Oh Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. He's saying, God, you can search over the entire universe, the mightiest warrior, the mightiest king, the weakest person. There is nobody like you. Nobody as powerful as you. Oh Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us. Do you see the boldness of his prayer? Right? He, there's, no, there's no kind of skimpering around this. He's not sure, oh, thou Lord Almighty, if, if it wouldn't be too much trouble, could you just, no. Help us, oh Lord our God, for we rely on you. And in your name, we have come against this multitude. There is faith, there is belief. Oh Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. Then he turns to his guys and he's like, boys, let's go. Let's go. God is with us. In the face of certain death, of certain slavery, Asa, Asa cries out this bold prayer of deliverance to God. He goes, God, listen, I know who you are. I've been walking with you my whole life. I know your track record. I know your history. I know who you are. There is nobody like you. Our trust is in you, God. So would you show up and do what only you could do? And if you read the rest of the story in 2 Chronicles chapter 14, God absolutely goes with them and they absolutely, against all odds, obliterate this massive army invading. God hears Asa's bold prayer and he delivers like nobody's business. Now I want you to listen to what uh, James in the New Testament, half-brother of Jesus, what he says about coming to God in times of trouble. He says this, James says, is anyone among you suffering? What should you do? He says, let him pray. In other words, go to God and ask for help. If you're hurting, if you're suffering, James says, go to God for help. He's the one that can help you. Now watch this in Hebrews chapter four. It says, since then, we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, with boldness, with ferocious fearlessness, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now here's the point, believer. You've got to learn, this is application number three, We've got to learn to pray ferociously bold prayers. You need help? Good. Good. Go to the one who smashes armies. Go to the one who defeated death. Go to the one who makes broken things, puts them back together, one who breathes life into dead things. You say, Chris, man, I, you don't understand, man. I've been praying for years. I've been praying for, for decades, man. God does not hear my prayer, and, and I gave up a long time ago. Listen, Jesus told this incredible parable in Luke 18 about a persi- persistent widow. You guys remember that parable? This lady, this little widow uh, was, was wronged, and she was seeking justice. And so she, she went to this evil judge again and again and again. And she would go, judge, I I need your help. I I need justice, God. And I want you to listen to his answer after this poor little widow comes to him again and again and again. This This is what the evil judge says. He says, even though I neither fear God nor respect man, sounds like a lovely guy, right? Neither know, even though I neither fear God or respect man, I will give this woman what she asked for so that she doesn't beat me down with her request. And Jesus told this parable to his disciples to say, hey, listen, I want you guys to pray like this widow. I want you to, I want you to pray relentlessly because if even an evil judge is moved by persistence, how much more your good father in heaven? Now I want you to look at what happens as David remembers all that God has done and he starts to ask God to show up boldly. Watch what happens in verse 22. He says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. We're, we're gonna see a theme here as, as he closes out. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard. Are you in pain? Are you reaching out to God? He hears you but he has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nation shall worship before you. Did you see that? David just broke into his own little private worship service. Now, Cheryl, my, my wife does that sometimes. She'll, she's gonna kill me for saying this, but I have a comfortable couch. I don't mind sleeping there a couple times a year. She does it sometimes, man. We'll, we'll be driving, and uh, a worship song will come on, and I'll look over there at my wife, and she's just going full Pentecostal, man. You know, she just, she's got the hands up, eyes closed, head bobbing. She's just, she's just into it. She, could, she couldn't stop it. She just had to praise God and her own little private, private worship service. And I love it. This is exactly what's happened to David here. Little, in the midst of his trials, in the middle of the pain, listen, there's no indication that God has delivered him yet. 
When he writes this, this last part of the chapter where it's all about praise and worship, there's no indication that God has delivered him yet. Doesn't matter. You know why? Because he remembered who God is. And he took his pain and he took his sorrow and he took his suffering and he laid it down before God. And now he's saying, God, all I can do is say, you are good. God, all I can say now is, is you got this? And now I don't have to carry the burden and the weight of this pain and the suffering anymore. God, I am, I am free in you. My trust is in you and I will praise you. And listen, that is exactly the place that some of us need to get to today. See, David didn't see his pain as a, as a cul-de-sac just to kind of get stuck in. And say, see, a lot of us, that's kind of, that's kind of what happens, right? We suffer in life, we, we lose something in life, we lose someone in life, there's some tragedy that befalls us. We just kind of get stuck in a cul-de-sac of pain, man. We can't get out of it, we just kind of stay in that cul-de-sac. But David understood that his pain wasn't intended to be a cul-de-sac, it was intended to be a bridge to something better, to knowing God in a deeper way. And so here's the last application, believer. Learn to park your heart in praise. Do you realize that trust, that praise is a choice? See, a lot of us get kind of tangled up and we, we think, God, I, I will praise you after you deliver me. God, I, I will praise you after you heal me. God, I, I will praise you after you finally bring me the right person to marry. God, I, I will praise you after you fix our infertility problems and give us a healthy baby. Then I will park my heart in praise. But David is teaching us, and again, he has not been delivered yet. He is teaching us that praise oftentimes precedes deliverance. Praise oftentimes precedes our deliverance. It comes before deliverance, oftentimes not after. You know why? Because it's not contingent on what God does in our life. It's contingent on who he is. And he is good, y'all. He is a good God. Listen, there is purpose in your pain, believer, and so learn to sing through the rain. He redeems all of our suffering, so learn to raise your hands in the storms of life. He brings what is dead inside of us to life, so learn to praise him in the fires of life. And what we will find in the end is that our souls are anchored to someone who is so staggeringly good and beautiful that he actually delights in answering our prayers and delivering us, walking us through the pain and through the fires of life. Now, what you may or may not know about Psalm 22 is that it's known as the Psalm of the Cross because much of what David writes here actually foreshadows the pain and the suffering of Jesus, right? Christ himself knew that. He actually quotes, did you know he quotes Psalm 22 from the cross where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's verse one of Psalm 22, a Psalm of lament. Later in the Psalm, David actually mentions all the offspring of Israel praising God and all the stuff about the families of the nations praising God. This is actually a, a reference to a promise that God made to Abraham way back in Genesis where he says to Abraham, through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now this was pointing us to Jesus, who would one day come through the line of Abraham and David. See, even in Psalm 22, David is actually pointing us, in a sense, to the suffering Savior who was to come, who would one day come to redeem those who suffer. I love this, a suffering Savior for suffering people. That's what I need. I need a suffering savior. 
one who understands me, one who understands the pain that I walk through. I don't need a savior who's sitting high on some ivory throne that's never walked through pain or suffering in life. Jesus understands. And so when we cry out to him in pain and we suffer, he can look at us with a tear in his eye and say, I know, I know. I know it hurts. I know what it feels like to be betrayed. I know what it's like to suffer physically to the point of death. I know what it's like to be homeless, be so poor, you don't even know where your next meal is coming from. I know what it's like to have your best friends turn their back on you when you need them most. I know. I know, son. I know, daughter. And I want you to know I'm here. And I'm with you. In the storm, through the fire, I'm here. And I'm not going anywhere. And so here's my question for you. For those of you in the room, for those of you watching online as we get ready to wrap it up. What do you need help from God for right now in your life? Where do you need God to show up in a big way and deliver you right now in your life? Because I guarantee you, I don't know where that is for you. Everybody's got that place in their life. And for some of you, that's such a scary place and it's such a big prayer that you're not even willing to pray it and you haven't prayed it. And for others of you, you've prayed it so much and you've become so discouraged that you stopped at some point and you gave up on God. And what I wanted to just encourage, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've committed your life to him, if you know him, his spirit indwells you, this is, this is what I wanna do. I wanna encourage you to pray that prayer in a ferociously bold way. We're just gonna carve out one minute. I'm gonna ask you to bow your head. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes. We don't do this a lot, but I felt led to do this this week. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and I want you to do business with God. And whatever that touch point is for you, whatever that painful area is for you, I want you to, don't, don't run away from it, I want you to press into it. And I want you to pray bold prayers like David prayed, like King Asa prayed right now to God. I want you to ask him to show up in your life and to do something amazing. So you pray in the silence of your own heart for just a minute, and then we're going to sing. you hear the prayers of your people? Do you hear the cries of your sons and your daughters? Father, would you forgive us for the times where we've put a, a period where you intended a comma in our lives? God, would you, would you remind us to remember your faithfulness throughout all the generations, your faithfulness throughout history, your faithfulness in our very lives. God, forgive us for the times that we forget 
and we step into a new crisis or a new season of suffering and we kind of freak out like, like, like there's no history of you showing up again and again in our lives, God. So would you do in each of our lives what only you could do, God? Where there's pain, where there's suffering, where there's a loss of hope, would you show up? Just like Asa cried when he was looking out at that sea, that huge army, and it seemed like it was hopeless, God, would you show up? Do you hear our cries for help? For our good, but also, God, for your glory. Would you meet us where we are? Would you heal wounds? Would you perform miracles? Would you do the thing that only you could do? God, we thank you. We love you. We love you for who you are, not just what you can do for us. We pray all these things in the strong and the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Church, let's stand together and let's sing.